All right, we have a concept called Ayin Hara, which we're going to learn about in this uh, class, but we're going to begin learning about Ayin Ra'a. Ayin Ra'a, okay? Which is not the same thing as Ayin Hara. So let's turn to Tanakh. In Tanakh, there's no overt, the only reference that we have, we have references to the concept of a Ra'ayin, a person who has a bad eye. However, in Tanakh, every time we mention someone with a bad eye, it always means one thing. Let's look at a Pasuk and Mishle. That's one example of a few examples. Niv HaLahoyim. Niv HaLahoyim means a person who is so overly focused. Nivhal in like a, a, an extreme way to accumulate wealth, um, is a person who's Ish Ra'oyin. That's a person with a bad eye. Of Yeda, and he doesn't realize, Ki Cheser that he's bringing onto himself a deficit. What's the Pasuk referring to? The Pasuk, the Mepharshim explained that we're talking about a person who's so adamant about earning another dollar that he'll stop at nothing, including theft, and including uh, things that are illegal. He doesn't realize that this is going to hurt him in the end because he's going to be, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be caught and the negative consequences are going are gonna to outweigh any, positive, uh, any positives. So along the way, what did the Pasuk say? It used the Lashen Ra'oyim. So what does Ra'oyin over here mean? Why are we calling this person having a bad eye? It means someone who's, who's dissatisfied. It's, it's an outlook in life. It's someone who has a negative outlook where he looks at what he has, he goes, eh, what's this? It amounts to nothing, I need more. That's called a Ra'oyin in, in Mishle. And this week on Shabbos, when we say Pirkei Ovis, we're going to make a reference to this concept. Look at Pirkei Ovis, Perek Beis, Mishnah Tess. Where, Amar Lehem, Rabbi Yechonim Adzakai said to his students, Tzu'u, Uru'u, Ezi, Derech, Rashi, Yisrachim, Men, Adam. What is a path that we should stay far away from? And each student said a different thing. Rabbi Eliezer said, Ayin Ra'a. What does Ayin Ra'a mean? So the Rambam tells you, Ayin Toiva means, Ha'i stapkos b'mashe yesh Adam. Ayin Toiva means, I have a good eye. I look at what I have, and I'm happy. I'm satisfied. I'm grateful. And that's a good midah. Ayin Ra'a is Hafcha. The Ayin Ra'a is the opposite. What I mean to say is, to consider a lot, nothing. And to want more. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with desiring more. But when a person is, uh, when a person devalues the things that they have, and they aren't grateful for the things that they have, and when they pursue more in ways that aren't measured, that aren't done thoughtfully uh, and patiently and properly, then we say that's considered ayin ra. So obviously, there's nothing mysterious about this. There's nothing paranormal about this. There's nothing uh, superstitious about this. This is very simply about a person's midos. But there's another concept. And that concept is going to surface also in Perek Beis of Pirkei Yavis, in Mishnah Tezvav, where we have Rabbi Yeshua saying, Ayin hara, yetzer hara, v'sinas habriyos, moitziyan asa adam min ha'olam. There are three things that take a person out of this world. Now, you'll notice that the word is different. Instead of it being, in Mishnah Tez, in text 2, it said, Ayin ra'a. Here it says, Ayin hara. So that's a little bit different in terms of how you uh, structure the word. So is that uh, significant or is it not significant? So the Rambam says, eh, it's not significant. It means the same thing. Ayin hara and ayin ra'a mean the exact same thing. And if you look here on Mishnah Tezvav, the Rambam interprets, interprets these three things as follows. Ayin hara, he says, that's chemdas hamameh. That's desiring more. Yetzirhara, that's Raif Taiva, when a person has uh, uh, um, a, a strong, a, a strong, uh, uh, an over uh, focus on, on Taivas. The Yetzirhara, uh, excuse me, that's Yetzirhara. The Sinas Habriyes, how does he translate that? That's Rayah Nefesh, a person with a, a bad character. Vuchayli Marash that's depression. Hamevias Adam, it's the form of depression that brings a person, Limois Riyaz Bnei Minoy, to hate seeing people, Ulusaynam, and to hate them. So how does the Rambam interpret these three things? Sinas Habrius is a depression that turns someone into antisocial. Yetzahara refers to someone who overindulges in typhus. Ayinhara means I want more, I want more, I want more. And all these three things might see in Asadam and Oilam, which means what? It makes you, either you go literally, that literally taken to an extreme, this could lead to death. And there are instances in all three of these things where... For example, someone wants more and more and more, and they'll take risks, for example, that are dangerous and that can lead to their death. Or it can be, might see in the Sodom and Oilam from normal life. 
be that as it may, the reality is that notice how the Rambam interpreted the word ayin hara. He interpreted the word ayin hara to mean the exact same thing as ayin ra. It's a character question, that's all. Ayin ra and ayin hara mean one thing and one thing only, and that's when a person is not happy with what they have, and, and, they're, and, and they, they're miserly, and, 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 and they want more, and they want more, and this is how the Rambam interprets it. Well, there was another one of the Rishonim who was not happy when he saw this. What's the connection with miserly? With what? The miserly thing. Miserly, that, that tchuna comes from the same thing, where why, why does a person not give anything away? It comes because I, I, I don't have enough, I need more and more. So I'm, I'm, I'm tying miserliness into the, the desire for more as well. Um, comes along Reb Shimon ben Samach Duran. Reb Shimon ben Samach Duran, I believe we mentioned him in previous showing he was one of the Sfardashur Rishonim who grew up in Spain, later he was forced to move, and he moved to North Africa, and he wrote many different svarim. One of the svarim he wrote, one of the svarim he wrote was a Piddush on Pirkei Ovis called Mogen Ovis. So in the standard set of Pirkei Ovis, we, have the, we don't have his commentary printed on the side, so it got less attention. But really, it deserves a lot of attention, because it's a wonderful uh, commentary. And he says, about the first one, Perak Bey's Mishnah test, Pirkei Ovis, he says, Rambam, I have no problem. You want to tell me ayin ra means when a person is not happy with what they have? I agree with you. That's a midos question, 100%. But ayin hara? To say that about ayin hara? Absolutely not. This is wrong. This is against Chazal. Let's see what he says in number 6. He's quote, he quotes the Rambam and he says, I disagree with you. Up above, meaning in Mishnah 9, that's ayin ra. V'kan yesh ayin hara. In other words, and here we're learning about the famous ayin. Well, Meforsim Ubatamaran is very well known. Anyone who learns Gemara, Sha'ayin Hara, who ayin haroyas, chaveroy oyas, nechasov derech kinovisinat, when a person eyes and sees his friend, another person, or his property, and he does so in a way of hate, and he does so in a way of jealousy, he does so in a way of why does he have that? And what happens? And he damages by that very glance. He damages that person with his eye. He damages his property with his eye. And that's the eye in horror that Rabbi Yeshua was referring to. The thing that, that takes you away from this world. This is what we're, uh, this is what we're refer, referring to over here. So this is interesting because the Rambam could have interpreted it this way, but he didn't. And we're going to make the case that this is not an accident, which is no surprise already given the other topics that we've already seen in the previous classes. The, the pattern is emerging. I'm waiting for a Ramban also. You're waiting for a Ramban? We're not going to have a Ramban today. Uh, the Rashbats is taking the place of the Ramban. He was an anical. He was an anical. I don't know if he's two generations or three generations from, uh, from the Ramban. Okay. Now, this surfaces in another very interesting way when we learn Masechus Baba Basra. We learn Masechus Baba Basra. There's a sugya right at the beginning of the Gemara. And it talks about how you have to build a wall and they can force each other to build a wall. And there's a whole bunch of different scenarios about building a wall. I don't want to get too much into the weeds of discussing Baba Basra, but I'll just say one thing. There's two circumstances. One circumstance is a chatzar. Another circumstance is a gina. A chatzar, in the days of old, a chatzar was a highly used uh, place. That's where people did laundry, and that's where people did the food and, and eat meals, and a lot of things happened in the chatzar. So in other words, people wanted a degree of privacy. In your chatzar, people wanted a degree of privacy. So that's one conversation about, you have to have a wall to protect privacy in a chatzar. Then there's another thing. Another thing is a gina. A gina is a garden. No one hangs out in gardens, in a vegetable garden. When you're growing food, fruit and vegetables in Talmudic times, it was unheard of for people to hang out there. It's just where the fruit is growing. So in other words, there's no privacy issues when it comes to a garden. Afal became, when you learn the Gemara and Baba Basra, Tav Beis, it makes it pretty clear that there is a bigger issue with sight when it comes to a garden over a chatzar. Why so? There's no privacy issue. The reason when you learn the Gemara becomes pretty clear is because there's two separate issues. One is privacy. Privacy you have in a chatzar. But in a vegetable garden where there's fruits and beautiful vegetables is a different issue, not a privacy issue. There's an issue of ayin hara. What's the ayin hara issue? That someone may go walk by and look and see a luscious, delicious tomato and say, how you talking, my friend has that tomato and he's going to be mazik that tomato or mazik that person's garden and so therefore there needs to be even more of a, of a cautiousness about, um, uh, about guarding, uh, building walls and forcing neighbors to build walls to protect 
in a garden. This is what the Gemara. Now you come to the Rambam, and the Rambam codifies all of the dinim in the Gemara, and it comes to the din about a garden, and he has a case over there of two neighbors, and they're next to each other, and their gardens are next to each other. And what does he say? He says, hey, and you force each other to put up a wall that's ten tefachim high. Ten tefachim high? Everyone knows that ten tefachim high, that's about the height of this table. That's not high enough to guard against Hezekiah. What's going on over here? But this is what he says. He says, you only need to have ten tefachim. Ten tefachim is used in, in, in the Gemara when it's, you want a demarcation. Where does your property end? Where does my property start? You put up ten tefachim. If you're trying to guard against sight, you always need arba amos. So the people who read Mishnah Torah around the world, they had this question. And so they used to write Shilas to the Rambam, and they wrote a Shilas to the Rambam uh, uh, about, about this. Um, what did the, and, and, and we'll see what the Rambam, uh, we'll see what the Rambam responded. We'll see what the Rambam responded. Bef- uh, so, uh, <clears throat> before I show you what the Rambam responded, let me just give you uh, the rush. I, sh- I should have noted, uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Samach Turan said, the Gemara has many, many examples of Ayin Hara where it means a physical damage that comes from sight. So let, let, let me give you one, class, one case from the Gemara where we have this, and then we'll see how the Rambam dealt with it. So, Baba Metziah, Daf Kuf Zayin, says like this, Amalei Rav Yehuda, L'Ravim Barav Nachman. Rav Yehuda said to Ravin, the son of Rav Nachman, Ravin, Achi, Ravin, my brother, Loi Taz Bin Ara, the Smicha Lamasu, do not buy land that is next to the city. Why don't you buy land next to the city? Dama Rav Evo, Amar Rav Hun, Amar Rav, because Rav Evo said in the name of Rav, Asr Loi Laadam Sheyamed Astei Chaveira Bishasha Aymedes Bekamayzeh. It is forbidden to stand by the field of your friend when it is standing uh, ready to be harvested. In other words, when it's there, ready to go in all its glory and all its beauty, it's, it's lush, it's delicious, it looks good, don't stand there. Why don't stand there? Because maybe you're going to give an eye hara. What does this have to do with where you buy a land? The worry is, Rabbi Yehuda was worried, what happens if someone is not successful and doesn't, is not able to hold himself back and next to the city people are always coming and going. So if you have land that's there, you're upping your chances that someone's going to drop you in Ayin Hara. So therefore buy further away from the city and you'll have less of this problem. Okay, so what do we see? This is a classical text in the Gemara where you see Ayin Hara not in the context of Agadita, not in the context of a story, but Pashat Halacha Lamaisa, two things. Number one, you're not allowed to stand in a field even if you don't intend to do an ayin hara, because we're afraid you're going to give it an ayin hara. Number two, advice, family advice, about not buying next to uh, the land. The Gemara continues there in Baba Metziah, and Darshan is a pasuk, God will remove from you all of uh, your illnesses. And Rav makes a drasha, and he says, uh, means zu ayin. God, how, how is he going to remove all of your illnesses? He's going to remove this one and this one and this one and this one. These are all, it's a, it's a very difficult task. It's very simple. God's going to remove one thing. What's he going to remove? He's going to remove you from Ayin Hara. He's going to make you immune from Ayin Hara. And by doing that, you're good to go. Rav Letameh. And this is what Rav said. In other words, we see Rav takes Ayin Hara very seriously. So the Gemara says that's consistent with his shita. Why? The Rav Salak Lebe Kivri, once he went to visit a cemetery, Avad Maida Avad, and he did what he needed to do. And Rashi here explains that he went and he whispered things and he said things that we don't quite understand what this was. And this, he gained knowledge from that experience. Omar, he then left the cemetery and said, Tishin Vitisha Ba'ayin Ra, 99% of the people who are buried here who died, died because of Ayin Hara, the Echad Bedera and only 1% of the people who are buried here died a natural death. So in other words, Ayin Hara is a real serious thing for Rav, which is consistent with the idea that when God removes all the illnesses, he just needs to remove the Ayin Hara. So this is what Rashpatz means. Shimon ben Samach Duran says, hello Rambam, why are you ignoring this concept that's in the Gemara? Here's just one sample. There are so many passages again and again and again. Now as I alluded to, that when it came to the Gina, where you have this iron horror for the fruits, Rambam said, you only have to build tent Fahim. So they asked the Rambam what, this, uh, uh, what was the meaning of this. And the Rambam responded as follows. Uh, uh, this is quoted in the Migdalois, who's one of the classic commentaries from the era of the Rishonim on the Rambam. He writes as follows, Shuv Masasi Lunil. I found uh, the, the wise sages of Lunil, that's a city in southern France in Provence, Shalul Zal. They asked the Rambam about this. They asked him, what's up with the tent Fachim? Don't you need a tall wall? Ve'eshivam, and he responded as follows, Zois Okay, sometimes they tell us teachers that we shouldn't say this to students. Uh, but the Rambam said, eh, good, such smart people like you shouldn't have asked this type of question. You, you're, you're, you're blurring 
two separate concepts, he says. There's a concept of hezekiah, damage by sight. Where is a significant and definite damage? What is a significant and definite damage? Privacy breach. Privacy breach is a definite and clear and significant damage. That's one thing. That's an achatzer. There you need to have dalanamis. You want to compare that about seeing someone else's um, someone else's uh, fruits that's only due to the evil eye. This concept of the evil eye, this is only that you shouldn't look at it in an oifen of ayin ra. Okay, so the Rambam here is basically saying when it comes to chatzar and there's privacy, that's a serious concern. We need to take that really, really seriously. As a result, you have to, the neighbors can force themselves, you're going to build a wall that's, that's Arba Amai, so there is no gazing because privacy is a real thing. Ayin hara? Ah, yeah, that's just Midas Chsidis. What do you mean Midas Chsidis? Midas Chsidis is, um, there's different definitions of the word, but I think what Rambam here means is, that's about your character. That's an issue about your character. That you shouldn't look at your friend's stuff by Ayin Ra. In other words, what's the Rambam saying here? When the Gemara said that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't look, um, the Gemara says that you, should, um, that you shouldn't stand in a field. And when it's, uh, when, it ha- when it's fruitful, the reason you shouldn't stand there is because maybe it's going to put you in a bad place. You know that sometimes someone gives advice and says, you know, if you didn't go on vacation and now everyone's coming back from vacation, don't go, don't go to Facebook this week. You know, stay off Facebook this week. You're going to see the pictures and that. Just stay off, right? Because why? It's going to make you jealous, right? So it's like, don't stand there. Why? It's going to turn you. It's going to make you jealous. Okay, good. So that's about my character. So it's about my character. Then sorry, you can't force me to make a wall. That's Arba Amis. It's in the midst of And this is why the Rambam, although he has all the dinim in the Gemara, he does not have the din that you're not allowed to stand in the field. The Gemara has it as a din that you're not allowed to stand in the field when the fruit is all there. You look at the Mishnah Torah up and down, you're not going to find that. Why? Because the Rambam is learning that that's like a Pirkei Ovis style teaching. That's a character style teaching, which is important to know, it's important to have. However, it's not going to be, it's not going to be something that ends up in Halacha Sefer telling you that you're not allowed to do it. So all of a sudden... One the second. person that owns the field, why should he have to put it Yeah, so you can't force me, that's what he's saying, the Rambam is saying, you can't force me to say that I need to chip in for a wall so that for me that I shouldn't get, get jealous when I see a green pepper. Sorry, that's not happening. So therefore, what do you see from here? This is the second uh, area where the Rambam could have, had he wanted to, the Rambam could have easily explained Ayin Hara in a specific way, and he seems to be trying to avoid it at all costs. And now we're going to do one other sample, although this isn't about Ayin Hara, but it's about a very much related topic. And this one's in this week's parsha. so if you need to say Advar Torah this week, so you have it on the, on the Pasuk, Loisa Kalo We have in Parshas Kedoshim, we have many different mitzvahs on many different subjects. And one of them says, Loisa Kalo Don't curse a deaf person. What's wrong with cursing a deaf person? <clears throat> Doesn't can hear. So Melo, a person hears... Is emotional damage. Oh my God, you curse me out. The deaf person can't hear. So what's wrong with cursing him? Okay, so we'll see two approaches. The first is Sefer Achinuch. The Sefer Achinuch is this work that comes from Spain in the 1300s. I think it's actually a little earlier, in the 1200s, where it goes through, it goes through all the mitzvahs and it gives a beer for the mitzvahs. So here he, he addresses the mitzvah of the Avera of, of, of uh, Kilalas Chedesh, and he says as follows. Although we don't have the ability to understand how a curse lands in a cursed person, and we don't understand how speech can bring the, that thing upon the person. Doesn't matter. We generally know from all people around the world that they're afraid of curses. This is Jews and non-Jews. And everyone says that a curse of a person. Also the curse of a regular person. It leaves something in the person who is cursed. And the curse and the pain is going to attach itself to the person who is cursed. So because this is what everyone thinks, so therefore, I will suggest that the purpose of this mitzvah 
So why are we told that we're not allowed to curse even a deaf person? Because you're not allowed to hurt a deaf person. And if you're going to curse him, if you tell a deaf person that you should have so then that's going to happen to that. We don't understand why. But it's going to happen to that person. So this is why even if he doesn't hear, it's a problem. And he says, you're not allowed to damage a person with your mouth just like you're not allowed to do it in action. Okay. This is his explanation. Now I want you to realize how similar this is to the concept of ayin hara. If ayin hara means that somehow by looking at something with my eye, I was able to hurt that person or a possession of the person, the concept of a klala is that my speech is doing essentially the same thing. So these are first cousins. Now the Sefer Achinoch goes on and he notices and he knows that the Rambam didn't say what he said. The Rambam has a Sefer HaMitzvah as well. And usually the Rambam and Sefer HaMitzvah does not give reasons and explanations for the mitzvahs. However, when it comes to Leysa Kalal Chedesh, he does in Sefer HaMitzvah. And Sefer HaChinuch knows it. And he quotes it. Look, and look what he writes. The Rambam, Amar B'tam Mitzvah Zu, gave a different reason for why we can't curse a uh, deaf person. And it seems from the Rambam's words, Rambam does not believe that a curse can actually achieve something in the person who is cursed. Why? Because Rambam in Sefer HaMitzvah, which is text 10, says very simple. He says, the reason why you're not allowed to curse a Chedesh is, because what does it say about you? We know that when we say something, that means you're feeding your jealousy. It means you're feeding your anger. It means you're strengthening the sense of rage. You're nakama. <laughs> we want people to be a mensch. We want you to be a mensch. I, nothing's going to happen to him. I don't only care about him. I care about you as a person. I want you to have good character. So therefore, don't curse a Chedesh. This is how Rambam says it. Sefer HaChinuch notices that Rambam says what Rambam said, and that he didn't say what he says, and so therefore Sefer HaChinuch himself already says, oh, so it looks like Rambam doesn't believe in the efficacy of, uh, of a curse. And this really is three pieces, two of which are on Ayin Hara, one of which is on uh, Aklala, which gives us the, the bottom line, which we can therefore at this point summarize as follows. When one reads the Talmud Bavli, it is absolutely clear, in text after text after text after text, that there's a concept of Ayin Hara, where, and Klala, where my speech or my eye can somehow hurt somebody else. And how that works, we'll soon see. You have that all over in the Gemara, and all over the Midrashim, all over Chazal. There is no question about it. And most of the Rishonim followed that line of thinking. The vast majority of the Rishonim are representative is not the Ramban, though I'm sure if we wanted we could find one, because uh, I believe he would be in that category, but we find the Magan Avis, the Rashpats, is the representative from the Rishonim, along with the Sefer Achinuch, who are following in that model. Uh, and the Rambam taking a different approach. What would the Rambam do with all of those Gemaras? So that comes back to an issue we discussed in previous classes, but the simple thing to just say here is, he would say, he would metaphorize them, he would metaphorize them. So for example, the 99% of the people who die by Ayin Hara, I saw a commentator in the 1500s, the Yafei Tayar, we quoted him a few weeks ago. The Yafei Tayar, he was a Rav in, uh, in, uh, in, in, um, in the Ottoman Empire. In the 1500s, he is a commentator, Yafei Tayar. So he goes and he's like a Rambam approach uh, style commentator. And he says, what that means is, yeah, many, many people, they're dying from overeating, from tivus, from health, because they're not, because Ayin Ra, they're not happy with what they are. So that will be an example of metaphorizing uh, a Talmudic text to make it, uh, to make it fit with this, uh, with this approach. Does, okay. the Rambam, does the Rambam have anyone before him? There's a lot of material from the Go'inim, the problem that Ramba may have had, but the problem is we don't have it, so Lavdafke, we have something, but that's something you could look into to see from the Go'inim how they address this issue. But yeah, the Go'inim, there is material from the Go'inim that gets into these types of issues and debates. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then at least there's something. I don't know specifically for Ayanhara. Okay, now, the question is, the big question is, how does this Ayin Hara thing even work? How does it even make sense? So we're going to get there. Before I want to get there, I want to just show you how there's five or six areas in Jewish life that are ingrained into Jewish life and ritual today that are very much informed by the accepting, not rejecting, accepting the idea of Ayin Hara. 
Number one, the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. The Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch does bring the dinim that the Rambam ignored. Let's look at number 11. Shulchan Aruch Admar Azakin, Choshe Mishpat, Hilchis Niske Momen. The Alter Rebbe says as follows. Osir Lamoid, Alstech Haveroi, Liestakoba, you're not allowed to stand by your friend's field to look at it, to gaze at it. Bishashi, I made this become myself when it's standing there fully grown. Why? Shaloyas, he cannot buy iron raw so that you don't hurt it, you don't damage it with iron raw. That's if even you don't intend to do so. How much more so? That you're not allowed to look at your friend in a way where uh, um, there, there's worry. Oh, so the answer is that was his property. It's if you need to be careful about his property, not to hurt his property, how much more so his person? Because people are more important than property. The Alter Rebbe then goes on to say, and even if there's a situation in where there isn't a chash for Ayin Hara, that somehow Ayin Hara is not going to be operative, still you have to respect privacy. Okay? So that's the continuation of the Sith. But what do you see over here? The Alter Rebbe codifies the idea of you're not allowed to look at someone, you're not allowed to harm someone with Ayin Hara, even so far as to say that when his field is all there, ready to go, you, you're, you're not allowed to stand there. You're not you're allowed to stand there. You're not allowed to stand there in order to look at it, even with no intention for Ayanhara. Okay, so this is not a, an important part of, I think, everyday life today, given that we're not an agrarian society, but I thought it's worth noting that the Alter Rebbe brings us, number one. Number two, there is a whole bunch of Svarim that come from the generation after Rashi that record Rashi's teachings. Besides for his commentaries, there's a Sefer called Sefer Oida, Sefer Apardis, Machzer Vitri. These are different works that come from his Talmudim. So in Sefer Oira, it has a source that we're all familiar with in terms of how we count the minion today. So he says as follows, and this is written in Aramaic, which tells you that the origins of this text is not in medieval Ashkenaz, because they didn't do original writing in Aramaic. This is quoting a teaching from the Goinim that uh, we, we don't have in its original source anymore. When we gather in shul, sorry, we want to know if we have ten. Kaimolan. It is taught to usher limnois. You're not allowed to count Jews. Afilu litvar mitzvah, even for a good purpose such as a minion. So vehecha avdu. How do you know if you have a minion? So this is what you do. Pasachad, the first guy, he opens up and says the word vaani. Tanyan then says the second one says the word beroiv. The third one says chastika. The fourth one says avoy. The fifth one says veisecha. And they say this whole pasuk which has ten. V'chad meshalme high psika al high sidra. And when the whole pasuk is read aloud, yadu dika sara. That's how you know that there is ten. So you'll notice that this is different from the way it is done today, where sometimes people do not one, not two, not three. So that's not here. Even that we do uh, one person says hashiyah That's also not here. No one did a count then. According to this model, no one counts. One, one guy says vani, the second one says beroiv, and then if you reach yeshacha, then you know you had a minion and, and, and not. And if you, if you want to be far away from counting, that's a lot further away from counting than one person going, which is a lot closer uh, to counting. But the bottom line is, it's still part of uh, the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch Paskins this way. The Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch says that this is we do the Maisa, we don't count. Why? When you're counting, ah, 10, oh, 10, ooh, so many people, ayin hara, that, that type of problem. And so therefore, uh, this is something that's not done. The Pasuk was changed to Hashia Samecha. That's interesting. Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch used Hashia Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch was written in the 1860s, 1870s, something like that. Um, by the Shlomo Gansfried. He uses the Pasuk Hashia Samecha. The Rebbe once by Fabrengen said, which Pasuk makes more sense? Vani Berev Chascha makes more sense. What's that Pasuk talking about? I came, I came to Shul, I came here to David. Right? Hashia Samecha has nothing to do with prayer and Davidin. What did the Rebbe say? Sometime in the Mems, the Rebbe said, yeah, but when Jews want to use a Pasuk, you have that, you could do about coming to Shul, which makes sense, or you can ask for redemption. So a Yid uh, goes, for, goes for redemption because Mashiach is front and center on our consciousness. Okay, fine. So that's another one. Number three, every morning in Davening. What do we say in Davening? We want God to protect us from all these types of people. Azefanim, people who are brazen people. May Azuzpanim from brazenness. May Adamra, bad person. May Chavara, bad friend. May Shachanra, bad neighbor. May Pegara is from, a, from a, some sort of disease. May Ayin Hara. Save me from an Ayin Hara. We ask Hashem to save us from an Ayin Hara. That's another area where we have it in our, uh, in our day-to-day life. Next. Shulchan Aruch Erechayim. Kuf Mem Beisiv Normative law, you're allowed to have an aliyah, two brothers or a son following a father. But we still don't let it. The only reason we don't let it is because of Ayin Hara. In other words, wow, look at that. 
It's a father and a son. Oh, and another son. Look at the family. They're all together. Boom, we're worried about Ayin Hara. This is why we don't have. And it's interesting, there are people who don't have a lot of Shemitah's Torah mitzvahs in their life, but they have to do a bar mitzvah and shul or whatever. And but this thing, they know the alias. You can't have two brothers. You can't next to uh, next to each other. It's interesting. There's a Rishonim, there's Archas Chaim, who says there's another reason for this. The other reason is it's a hard, it's a tzarech ion dicker reason. But he says there's a different reason. The reason is because two brothers are puzzle for edus, and every person who goes up to read the Torah is like an aid. So you don't want to have two brothers next to each other, and that's another reason why you can't have two brothers. Okay, basically, that was trying to give, that's more Rambam style, it's trying to give a non ayin hara explanation for, the type of, uh, for that type of meaning. Next, Yisker, so the Shari Afrayim, which is a very important sefer about daviding and shul and all the halachas associated with Kriya Satoira and, and the like. He says as follows, When the parents are alive, We go out during Yisker. And then in a footnote, he himself writes, Maybe the reason of the minig is, Everyone's saying, Yisker, Those who have parents are going to be quiet. And we're a little worried that the person who lost a father or mother is going to look up, he's going to see that Yid who's on the next bench over, who's not saying Yisker, and he's going to shiss him, I don't have a parent, you do, and that's why we send them out. Now, there are other reasons for this minig as well. The simple minig that we're probably all familiar sensitivity, privacy, that type of thing. You're not with them. It's a different type of experience. And perhaps there are other reasons as well. However, this is one of the reasons that's given for this is the concept of the Ayin Hara. And finally, the last area where this influences Jewish life is in the area of Tzavos of Yudah Chosid. We're probably familiar with the idea that uh, someone shouldn't marry a girl whose father has the exact same name as him. Or the other way around, that a girl shouldn't marry a man whose mother is the exact same name as hers. What's the reason? Where is the source on this? This comes from Rabbi Yehuda Hasid. Rabbi Yehuda Hasid is Ashkenaz in the 1200s. He has a lot of interesting teachings. And this is one of the things that he has amongst his teachings. Now, he did not explain why. We do not have a source for why. However, there's the Heshiv Moshe. This is the, the Satmer's grandfather, Rabbi Moshe Teitelbaum. He's known as the Yismach Moshe. So he got a question. There's a boy, Naftali, and the Naftali wants to marry a, gr- a girl whose father's name is Herz. Okay, his father's name was Naftali. But no one called him Naftali. They just called him Hertz. So is it a problem or is it not a problem? So he said, I don't think it's a problem. They could get married. Why? He said, because you don't have Ayin Hara. The whole reason, he says, is Ayin Hara. Why is it Ayin Hara? Because the way a lot of the sources about Ayin Hara are about attracting attention. In other words, you don't want someone thinking one extra second about you and your story and your narrative. So you heard he got engaged. Okay, good. Next. Here he got engaged. Naftali, Naftali. Oh, Naftali, Naftali. Isn't that cute? A Naftali, Ta, Naftali. Oh my God, that extra dwelling, that extra second. I am hard, you're not interested in. So that's the way he understands the Tzavos, Rabbi Yudah He says, once it's Naftali and Hertz, that moment of, oh my God, isn't it cute? It's not going to happen. Because one is Naftali and one is Hertz. And so therefore, there's no issue of Ayin Hara here. And he says, it's okay. But it's interesting. A lot of people aren't aware that, uh, that this is the reason. The reason is uh, for, uh, for Ayin Hara. So these are four or five examples of area Pashat, practical halacha and minig, and where we see the concept of Ayin Hara influencing Jewish life. I be- I, in that case, he says... Shame Kaidish like Ganke Naftali. Yeah, Kanida it's not about respect. Well, the hunter was that the father's name was Naftali Hertz and not just his name was Naftali. They called him Hertz. They called him Hertz. So no one even knew him as Naftali. Okay. And he wrote okay, fine. Um, now we have to move to a very important part. And that is how does this thing work? How does this thing operate? Okay, so this is where I think I haven't seen um, this laid out uh, clearly. But and looking at the sources, I, I think there are two approaches. And it's, it's very interesting to me to see how they break down in time. You pretty much have the approach from the Zman Shas until the modern era. When I say the modern era, I mean the 1600s era, where there's pretty much one approach to how to understand Ayin Hara. And then we see there's a new model that gets introduced in the 1600s, 1700s that is more popular today and is more, when the way people normally think about it is more in this alternative model. Um, we're going to call it like this. The first theory, the first explanation, the more traditional explanation, we're going to call it the arrow theory. 
the arrow theory. What do I mean arrow theory? You know what better than arrow theory? Fist theory. Fist. What's a fist? Just like we all understand. I have the ability, the physical ability, ability to walk over to someone and punch them in the face. And if I punch them in the face with my hand, I could hurt them, right? Actually, I'm not so strong, so I wouldn't hurt them so much. But fine, theoretically, I could hurt them. So that's the fist, yeah? So just like you all understand that I have the ability to do that with my fist, so you should know there's also a koyach that an eye has, and a koyach that a mouth has, though we don't fully understand it, and there's energies that come out of my eye, there are energies that come out of my speech, and they push it hurt in the same way that my fist could. And in fact, if you look at the sources that talk about Ayin Hara, they all use this type of language. Some of them talk, use language of sparks. They're obviously groping, looking for words for something that you can't see, that's not visible. But some, like today, a, a common word people would use is energies, right? Because they're like, now what does that mean? I don't know what energies is, but it's just a word, it's a go-to word that people would use in this scenario. And that's how they understood it. So it's the fist theory. Another way of thinking about it spatially is that it's lateral movement. The movement is lateral. I mean lateral is from me to you and from you to me, as opposed to anything up there, as we'll soon see. Just like my punch is lateral, so too my IMR or my curse is a lateral uh, movement from me to somebody else. So, I, and all of the say, if you look at the Rishonim, anyone to f- talks about Ayanhara uses this type of language. Just one example we'll look at here is the Mogan office from the Rashpats from Shimbu and Samak Duran, who we already quoted before. Look what he says. If you have Ayan Hara, you are going to leave the world first. Why? Just as that ear, that energy, that steam comes out of your eyes to hurt your friend, also hurts you. In other words, he's explaining why did Rabbi Yeshua say that Ayin Hara removes you from the world? It should be remove your victim from the world. He says no, because just like uh, you're emitting these uh, negative rays that are hurting this other person, that are zapping the other person. So when it leaves you, it hurts you too. And so therefore, you're going to be knocked out from the world as well. Uh, this is the Moganovis of the Rashpat. So many others use this language. Even down to the Maharal of Prague uses this language of nitsoitsois, of sparks, and this type of language coming out of the, coming out of the eyes. Uh, and go back to the Sefer Chinuch, when he spoke about cursing, what did he say? His language was, my curse lands on the victim. Again, it's very lateral in terms of how this thing is operational. Comes along the Erechayim. And the Erechayim is, you know, the generation before the Baal Shem Tev, living in the 1600s, passed away in the 1700s. And he deals with the question of Klala. He doesn't touch the Ayin Hara, he deals with the question of Klala. Let's read the text 18 inside, and you're going to see how there's a new way of thinking about this. He says, We have to address the question of a curse. If the person, we'll call him the victim, the person who's being cursed, it deserves the curse, not to me, it's going to happen, even if he isn't cursed. Because if Reuven is chayev to lose one dollar, then even cursed or not, he's going to lose one dollar. And if by God's judgment, and if he didn't do anything that makes him guilty of losing a dollar, so then the curse won't hurt him. In fact, God will punish the curser. So why are we afraid of curses? This is the question that the Erechayim asks. What's his answer? Here is the essence of the answer. What happens is people are guilty and people deserve punishment. Human beings uh, stray. It's a normal thing. It happens. And the default is that God says, you know something, I forgive you. Except for those moments, which we call in biblical language when God gets angry, which in more Kabbalistic language means when Midas Hadin is more operational and says, no, no, no more forgiveness and compassion. Everyone gets their just desserts. You get tit for tat. So then the prosecution on this um, person who's being sued, the person who was cursed, is no longer going to have mercy. So, just like in moments of God's rage, the, the person is not going to get compassion. So too by a curse. 
the curse accomplishes that your sins that God has been forgiving and that God has been putting aside God is going to change from forgiveness mode to payback mode indeed if you don't have a sin then the curse of the Makalo is not going to do anything what's happening here when it comes to the curse to him all of a sudden this is not lateral this is not going from me to anybody this is going me upward it's me upwards. It's vertical. There's vertical movement. A klala, the human being, has a certain power to invoke the idea that God says, I'm going to take another look at what's going on. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to scrutinize this situation over here. And the human, so there's a moedetik of koyach that a person has, but what's the koyach? The koyach is to be more to arouse God's judgment. And then what happens? So God does his judgment. So suddenly, there's no, there's not, in terms of the speech here, there's nothing, there's nothing emerging from my mouth that's hurting another person. There's something emerging from my mouth that's going to the Abishter, that's making a kitruk, so to speak, that's making God pull out the books to say, what does this person deserve? And when the person gets something negative as a result of my curse, it wasn't, it's not really a result of my curse. It's a result of the fact that person didn't have there was deserving of something. Because of God's forgiveness, it was delayed. Okay, my curse took away that delay. And just like he, the Orachayim, explains that about the curse, we find that pretty much the same generation, maybe he's one generation later, an author, not so well known, his name was Rabbi Aryeh Leib Kara. He comes from the family of Rabbi Yosef Karo, that's a similar last name. And he lived in Europe, in Ashkenaz, and he wrote a sefer uh, called Elam Iluim. He lived during this period. Okay, his great-grandson published this book in 1845, so if you do the math, he's in the 1700s. And he deals with Ayin Hara, and he does something very similar to Orachayim. Look, look at his question. V'kasha, maze inyan Ayin Hara sheyifchidu mizah am b'nei Yisrael? Why are Jews afraid of the Ayin Hara? Kik davar kasha hu be'ineinu loymer sheyachal adam lizek lachavera be'ineinu ebedibure. It's difficult to say, it's difficult to assert that one person could hurt another person with his eye or with his speech. Notice how he puts the two in the same boat, because they are, as we've been saying the whole time, in the same boat. Um, and, and this is important. Kasha hu be'ineinu. It wasn't kashehu be'inenu 200 years before, 300 years before, 400 years before. That's exactly how it was understood. But for him, it's kashehu be'inenu. And therefore, he goes on to explain as follows. He gives, Lamashal, Yavruvein sees Bishimin is very wealthy, or he sees that he's very strong, or he sees that he's uh, good-looking, and he says, Man, wow, how beautiful, how much money he has, look how strong he is. V'hu al Shimin. He's wondering, he's asking the question, why does he have so... So much good. So just as the Orachayim said, that a man down here below has the ability to trigger God's judgment on other people. So then God pulls out the file on Shimon, and God looks to see what's there. And he may find sins of Shimon. And then Shimon will be punished. For what? For his own sins. This is what Ayin Hara is. And so in this way, you have in the same century, in the same period of time, this change. No longer do we start seeing, I shouldn't say never, some continue using the older model, but no longer do we, start, do we see this energy model, this, uh, um, what was I calling it, the lateral, the lateral Ayin Hara. We now have the vertical Ayin Hara. We now have the Kitrug Ayin Hara, which is a whole different way of thinking about it. Now, what's the Nafkamina? You always know, in Yeshiva, you want to know, if you have two approaches, what's the Nafkamina? I'll tell you the Nafkamina. The Mechaber, Beis Yosef, has a Sefer of Chuvis. It's called Efkas Reichel. Efkas Reichel is the Shilas that he was asked and the answers that he was given. He has a Shilas that he was asked as follows. There was a case of a Gina. Where, as we know, in a garden, a vegetable garden, there's an issue of ayin hara in terms of you're going to see the person's fruits and you could give it an ayin hara. He had a question. What happens if a person wants to build a house where he's going to have a window overseeing a gina, but he says, don't worry, I'm going to put in a glass window. A glass window. So is it a problem, Mishum ayin hara, in the fruits? Now you need to think about this. If you go with the vertical model, what's the problem? Energies. Shield, it's blocked, stuffed, it's finished. If you go the vertical model, I saw the fruit, I made a kitruk. Lamaila, there was a kitruk. Zak the Beis Yasef, what does he say? The Beis Yasef living in the 1500s, what does he say? There's no problem. If you have glass, it's 100% kosher. Why? Because to him, this wasn't a question of, this is not privacy. What is the issue? The issue is very gashmius. It's a vertical type of eye, it's a, a lateral eye and horror of energies coming out of the eye, it's blocked. And this is what he says in, in Shut Efkas Reichel Kuf Chaf Aleph. If you look here, um, 
Look at the, the fifth line of text 20. One, two, three, four, five, six line. Shuva. Nira, the taina, the mishum hezekri, ain't a taina. Hezekri is irrelevant here. Bipnei shem echitza shel schuchis hava mechitza. It's a, it, uh, mechitza of schuchis is, is a mechitza. Ve'eba mishum hezekriya. Shalei mafsekes vechoitza. It says he bifnein, it blocks. V'hu shatia stuma yafa. It has to be closed really well. V'loi shar ba'ashum nekev. It's like, you know, the COVID mask. You need to be a nice tight seal that nothing goes out. So he's saying that's what you need to have. But other than that, everything is good. Now guess what? Does the Shabinarov? The Shabinarov passed away in the 1950s. He was a very uh, genius. He grew up in Poland, survived the Holocaust, went up to Eretz Yisrael, and he wrote glosses to the Shulchan Aruch. Guess what he says? He says a Meredith thing. He says if you follow Beis Yosef's conclusion, so then if you're wearing glasses, Ayin Hara is gone. Ayin Hara is gone. Why? You're wearing glasses. The energies can't come out of your eyes. Now, what about the up and the down? So I don't know. He doesn't consider. He's not bothered by that. In other words, crazy. It's a good. Huh? Ah, you go like this, yeah. But this is what he says. Look, look at twenty-one. Look at. Look at. No, it doesn't protect you. Look, look at the V'yesh Loimar in the second to last line of text twenty-one. V'yesh Loimar. If you have glasses, leislambal pichuvas efkas reichel. If you follow efkas reichel, gonna happen. However, that's my my point here is uh, the Chabina wrote very bekitzer. That's only if you're in that model. That's only if you're in that model. But if you're in the other model that the Orachayim told us about, and the other model the Elam Iluim told us about, so then it's a whole different way. It's not an energy thing. It's not a Gashmi sticker thing. It's about when a person has this, uh, this ability to make a kit or a glamaila. So, Oh, oh, yeah, you could connect that. You could connect that. So I think there's a few things to consider here in terms of the shift. One is... Does it make, were people willing to say that it makes sense that there's energies coming out of my eye and mouth that could hurt other people? So it could be there was a tkufa where, yeah, and it could be a tkufa, no, that's something to think about in terms of why maybe this shift happened. But another thing to think about also is, does it make sense? I think this is also important. Does it make sense that a human being down here in Lamata could be goyrim a kitrog lamayla? Like, would, you know, would you say that a human being is that powerful that he could get God, so to speak, to wake up and to shake up and to say, you know something, I'm going to take another look at Yankele. And it could be that in earlier generations, that concept that a human being had so much power, so to speak, to, to be or something lamayla, I think you have that way, way less in earlier sources. Uh, but when the Kabbalah of Arizal, and especially a chassidus, this is a big concept. The concept of kegavna, the concept of that as how a human being behaves, lamata, how this causes major in yonim lamayla, is mali v'gadlish and teres chassidus about it, and in teres hakabala. So I think that also plays a role here. Uh, I don't only think it's about, well, we don't, energy doesn't make so much sense anymore, so let's find something else. It's also, does the other thing make so much sense? And I think it resonated less before. But it's something to think about. Anytime you see a generational shift in how you understand a phenomenon, it's always worth thinking about, so why didn't B work in the earlier Tkofa? And why is A no longer working in the later Tkofa? And that's something to think about as, as you, um, as, uh, uh, when it comes to this topic. Okay, now there is a fascinating Zoyar about this. Uh, but I want to save it for the end, actually. We'll come back to the Zayar. Hopefully, we'll have time uh, at the end. Um, let's talk about the schoolers now. Once you have the Ayin Hara, you have a whole bunch of the schoolers. Let's go through these schoolers. So what are some of the schoolers? So the schools we'll talk about, number one, is uh, writings, elements of writing to protect from an Ayin Hara. Then there's the concept of the red string, and then there's spitting, and then there's bli Ayin Hara. These are the four that we'll talk about. So where does the concept of having writing come from? This comes from the Rezia Lamalach. Rezia Lamalach is a Kabbalah Sefer that comes from Ashkenaz in like the 1200s to the 1300s. Very interesting Sefer. Hard to read, hard to understand. Uh, says as follows. It's been checked and verified. For a woman who gave birth and to her child. This saves from magic, which is a whole other topic, magic. That's our topic. And by birth, that no shum shed upegara, that no disease or demon should take her or her child. So, what is a good way to protect shir lamalis? Having the writing of the shir lamalis in the vicinity of the child and the childbirth. 
Also, before we go to sleep at night, which is what we do, we say, uh, uh, this is a good school, and we spoke about it in the previous week, this is something to protect from a uh, shadim, uh, uh, and here we're seeing, this is something to protect from an ayin hara. This is something that we observe today, in terms of when a baby is born, however, we'll return at the end to see how the Rebbe frames this same custom, we'll come back to that soon. So that's number one. Number two, the red string. So here's the deal. The red string, there is no marker for the red string. There is no marker in Yiddishkeit, any Jewish sources that talk about the value of the red string. However, the Hungarians did it. The Hungarians did it. So the Hungarish or Abonim, when they're asked about it, they say, it's kosher v'yasher. So the example is the Debrecina Rav, Moshe Stern. He, he was asked, is there a marker for the red string? And he says, look, Although there is no written makar for this, the bottom line is in Hungary before the war, the women did this all the time, and to therefore chas v'shalom for anyone to mock this. However, you should be aware that there was once, a Rabbi Shapiro says in one of his broadcasts, that there was once a, a bacher that was, had a number of illnesses and a number of physical problems, and as such, uh, he, uh, he, went, he, he thought about, or he did, wear a red string around his wrist. He went to Yechidus, he did not come from the Lubavitcher family, this is in the Lamids. He went to Yechidus by the Rebbe, and he asked the Rebbe about the red string. This he told Rabbi Shapiro after his Yechidus. The Rebbe avoided answering the question. And then he pressed, and he wanted to know about the red string. And the Rebbe told him that in the Toisefta it says, it's Darchei Ha'amoyri. That Toisefta is here in Mesach Shabbos, Perek Vav, where it says, Elu Dvarim and Darchei Ha'amoyri. Here are things that are customs of Ha'amoyri, which by definition means anything that's Darchei Ha'amoyri a Jew is not allowed to do because we need to stay far away from them, besides for the fact that the practices themselves are originated in Avodah Zarah, and therefore they shouldn't be done. And there's a whole list. And one of the things it says, V'chut Adoim Aletzboi, having a red string on the finger. So it's not uh, around the wrist, but it's a red string on the finger. The Rebbe applied this to the red string that, that this younger man wanted to put on his wrist. Did okay. he say the story was in the late 70s? Or the I don't remember, but you could go to his uh, broadcast uh, thing, you could search red string, you'll be able to find it. There's okay, so that's... So, like okay, so that's... That's, uh, that's in terms of the red, uh, that's in terms of the red string. So the bottom line is, a source? No, there isn't. Hungarians, they say they did it in Europe, they're going to continue doing it. And there is a Taisefta that calls it into question and that the Rebbe did invoke at least on one occasion. In terms of the concept of saying poo-poo, this comes from spitting. This does not have old Makoitis. The oldest safer that I found that has this comes from the 1920s. Basically... Poo-poo, when someone says poo, what is this? Basically, already Rashi, Rashi, listen, that, that's, that's a whole nother, knocking on wood is a whole nother thing. Knocking on wood, there's a, if you go online and do origins for knocking on wood, there's a big, big machlekes in what that is, but there are no Jewish sources for knocking on wood. Um, in terms of the, uh, uh, Rashi says that um, one would say about their child, uh, who's very beautiful, and say, ah, he's a cushy. Okay, so that's not so... Uh, that's not so um, uh, palatable today, but the idea was that this was saying that the child is not good looking. And why would uh, the uh, father say that? It's because I don't want to draw attention to my son so that there shouldn't be uh, ayin hara. Um, and so it seems like that in the 1920s or maybe sometime earlier, people, uh, when they say something, they would spit and it was their way of saying it's nothing. Like the person said, well, I went on a vacation and then they would spit and it was just a way of saying that it was nothing without having to say uh, that it was nothing. So it was seen that the poo-pooing is just the making the sound of the spitting without the spitting. This Sefer, Shema Shloima, is quoting a, a very interesting thing that he says he heard from the Baditchver. And if so, then it goes back uh, even earlier and with an interesting twist. We know that it says Sukkis, it's a bad simon if it rains. Okay, it rains every year, Sukkis. So that's like a little depressing. So Baditchver says, no, 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 once in a while, rain is a bad simon. But what does the Abishur want to do? The Abishur wants to just, like the father, spits when he's talking about his son, to pretend as if the son is nothing, in order to protect him from the Ayin Hara. God wants to spit, make it rain, to... Now the Sultan says, oh yeah, so God is unhappy with the Jews, because it says in the Mishnah that if it rains on Sukkot, he's unhappy. And so the Sultan stops making his Keturgan, but it's really a decoy. So uh, this is the teaching, in this, that's the context of what this uh, teaching is. And finally, the, the Bli Ayin Hara, or the Un Ayin Hara, very interesting, the, the Mincha Salazar says, that you have to say it, Balashan Amudubaris, you have to say it in English or in Yiddish, or, or whatever it is. Uh, and this is another way of just protecting, of making sure that no Ayin Hara comes. Uh, so to some degree, more or less, these are different, um, these are different Minhagim, uh, uh, different schools. Now, let me share the following. In the energy model, 
I think the schoolers make a lot of sense. And I think that the schoolers line up. In other words, if, it's, if you're giving me a lateral movement, I should protect myself laterally. How do I protect myself laterally? A red string or a card or something like that. It makes a lot of sense. Once you start working with the vertical Ayanhara, uh, then I think a lot of these uh, segulas stop making so much sense, which would then explain why they're so uh, a lot less emphasized today in many different circles. I think it. I think. Yeah, correct. And that's yeah. And Bli Ayanhara actually one actually makes a lot of sense in the vertical one. In other words, I'm asking God, don't right, don't don't uh, take a look at his book. So that actually works out uh, very well. And uh, the Rebbe, by the way, did say Bli Ayanhara very often, which is the next part. I I want to deal with him in the next few minutes is talk about Rabbi Seinu Nisiyenu, uh, so that will be the next transition. But again, I think most of these schoolers work and made a lot more sense to people in that, um, in that energy model, of, in the fist model of the Ayin Hara, less so in the trigger model, in the trigger model, in the Kitrug model of, uh, of the Ayin Hara. Okay, in terms of the Rebbeim, we have in the Rishimis at least two times where the Rebbe says that Rebbeim did or did not do something because of Ayin Hara. Number one, the Samach Sedek, the end of his, his later years, he had glasses, but he never wore it over his eyes. He just had it on his forehead, because in other words, Samach Sedek didn't want people, wow, such an old man doesn't need glasses. He didn't need glasses. Samach Sedek lived to a very, very uh, old age. He didn't need glasses, but he had them there. Now, what's interesting is we have a painting of the Samach Sedek. There was a non Jew who came and painted the Samach Sedek. And what did he do? He made the Samach Sedek with glasses on the Sefer. And it's one of the things that I think the Rebbe or someone said is incorrect about the painting because it's hard to believe that the Samach Sedek would have put glasses on the Sefer. Fine. But at the end of the day, the artist put glasses there, not on the Samach Sedek's face, but in the Samach Sedek's hand. It makes so much sense with this tradition. That we have here, Tzemach Sadek had glasses with him even as he didn't need them and he didn't wear them. That's number one. Number two, today... Tzemach Sadek had a cataract at the Besoyf Yomov, but he... They say that he... No, no, that he dissolved his cataract by tears. The Ebishtava listened to his crying and his tears dissolved his cataracts. Okay. Now we go to the Reb Marash. Today is Beis Eir. And Beis Eir is the birthday of the Reb Marash. So about, oh, well, the truth is, the Reb Marash had a child. It's not about the Reb Marash himself. The Reb Marash had a child who passed away very young. His name was Avram Sender. He passed away when he was eight years old. This is the Reb Rashav's brother. Ben Shana, when this Avram Sender was one years old, Kfar Di Sharf, he already spoke uh, uh, well. Ben Gimel, when he was three, up in Cheder, they took him to Cheder. Yaru Ayin Hara, they were afraid of an Ayin Hara, so they did it on a winter night when it was already dark outside and cold, so very few people were outside. So this is a three-year-old kid who already was well-versed in Chumash. And here they were afraid of Ayin Hara, and so they did, um, and they did what they did. All right, now, I've mentioned before that the Rambam, didn't uh, codify Ayin Hara. It's not there. The whole thing is not there in the whole Mishnah Torah. Now, uh, uh, this is very interesting. Sometime in the mid-1980s, sometime in the mid-1980s, there was a, an issue with Machen Chana. Uh, the people who are Crown Heitzers, they can tell you more. I'll, for this purpose, just say that the name Machen Chana by the Rebbe's directive was removed from the Moisid for a number of months or years. I think it was two years or one year or something like that. Okay. Um, the leader of Machachana was Rabbi Yaakov, uh, Rabbi J.J. Hecht, Yaakov Yehuda Hecht. And he was obviously devastated that the Rebbe is removing the name Chana, it's named for the Rebbe's mother. He was devastated by this. And he wrote a letter to the Rebbe. And uh, the family published a letter on one of the churis. In the letter, he writes, in number 30, he writes to the Rebbe, He's like, another thing, I see, Yankel Hech says, I think this whole thing is an Ayin Hara that happened over here. And then he writes, The Rebbe once told us, me and my wife, There's no such a thing as Ayin Hara. Yankel Hech is writing to the Rebbe, that once I was by you, in Yechidus, and Kenita, we mentioned that we're afraid of Ayin Hara. So the Rebbe said, there is no such a thing as Ayin Hara. And the Rebbe invoked this Rambam. That's an amazing thing. The Rebbe invoked this Rambam and brought the fact that the Rambam doesn't bring Ayin Hara to calm down Rabbi Yankel Hecht and his wife to say, you don't have to worry about Ayin Hara. Well, 
I guess it didn't work so much because he, what he's doing is he's writing to the Rebbe that I think this event is a result of, of, um, of Einhar. And I, I spoke to some members of the family who said that, that uh, both for him and her, Einhar was a very, very big thing uh, in their lives. But that's an amazing thing, the first piece that we have from the Rebbe, that where the Rebbe is, so to speak, pointing to this Rambam, number one. Number two, there's a letter of the Rebbe where the Rebbe writes, if the mezuzahs are kosher, Every day you're following you're a good Jew. There's no possibility for Ayin Hara. Now let's go like this. In the lateral Ayin Hara model, what do you mean? What are you talking about? But once you go to the other model, this makes sense. Well, it goes makes sense. In other words, if you're doing everything right, so God's going to be happy with you. So what's going to happen? Okay. So that's one way of, of, of uh, uh, that's one way of understanding what that I've been saying here. Then we come to a whole other thing. And we're not going to have time to go through this at great length. But the Rebbe sometimes would say, and here's one example, if you don't care about it, it doesn't affect you. I'm sure you all heard this idea. For some reason, from all the different answers of the Rebbe, this one gets the most attention. If you don't pay it attention, then it doesn't harm you. Okay, but not fresh thing. Where is the mucker for that? What's the source of that? How to, how to make sense of that? But because we're running out of time, so we're going to just leave that, uh, we're going to leave that one on the side. Finally, Shira Malas. When the Rebbe quoted in Tavshim Zion, the Rebbe went on a campaign that we should have the Shir Lamalas for a child's birth. And the Rebbe in the first paragraph said is as follows. It's well known about the custom. To have the God's names and psukim, shir amalas, different customs. It's a school for shmira chulu. Without getting into details, the Rebbe says it's a school for protection. Next paragraph. There's an, another important thing about the child that's born. That right when he emerges into the world, he's surrounded by holiness. Things that a child, even one day old, hears and sees. It has an effect later in life. When we surround him, put him in an environment of holiness, So what happened here? The Rebbe infuses the Shir Lamalois with a Shir Hamalois with a whole new layer of meaning. And rather than it being just, the Rebbe's not negating anything. He's saying, there's a minute, the dawn for Shemira. And I'm saying that we want to do this for another reason. And the Rebbe goes on, this is one paragraph, the Rebbe is madgish, much more this second thing uh, as being the, what we want to do. As you, you're all aware of the fact, the Rebbe wanted the children to be in a holy environment in this area and in other hoirois and other areas as well where the Rebbe expressed this desire. So where does that leave us in terms of the Rebbe's approach to Ayin Hara? I, I don't feel comfortable to say that I can give you one definitive, clear-cut thing to tell you about the Rebbe's approach to Ayin Hara, but I'll say this. Uh, we definitely see the Rebbe telling people not to be concerned about this. They're, they're very much downplaying the significance of Ayn Hara, that it, sh- that it should be a factor in a person's life, very much downplaying that as something to be worried about and something to be con- con- concerned about. Um, I think that's pretty much, uh, I think that's pretty much what you have in this respect. Oh, the Zoya, I didn't do the Zoya. I want the Zoya, but it's late already. I was told I need to end on time. I, uh, okay, and, okay, the shear is over. Shear is over. Now, and again, the Zoyar is, yeah. This comes the Hemshech to when the Rebbe first mentioned about uh, husbands not being in the delivery room. And this was, the, that really started everything on this Indian. Interesting. Okay. Are you suggesting there's a connection? Yes. Okay. No, no, no. Saying, no, no, no. But the Rebbe spoke very strongly about it. Your test kiss like Tom Cotton. It was uh, early Memzayim. I was not. I had kids then. And so, um, so, you know, that for the younger light at that time. So I think from that, the Rebbe was pointing out from the positive in Yonim of the Shiramalas and the environment. Just, you know, don't worry about your husband being there. There's other ways too that you'll have the, uh, the Yonim should be taken of care of. Of Shmira. Of yeah, to be yeah. taken care of. So okay. I think that's, that's really where it started. The interesting, interesting. Okay. But again, there's are like this. You're probably, oh, oh, uh, just, um, you're probably aware of the fact that there's this concept of, of fish uh, being immune from the Einhara. Why are fish immune from the Einhara? 
Yeah, so, that's the minute. In the ver- in the lateral fist model, you know why they're immune from Ayin Hara? Because there's a shield, there's water. Okay, I'm not saying the Teiras Chaim, writing in the 1600s, says this. Right? He says, because there's a shield, there's water. Ah, from other no, though they don't have the ability to give Ayin Hara. So that's that's in that model. However, there's a whole other concept, and the Zoyer here introduces a concept of immunity of Ayin Hara. How to obtain immunity from Ayin Hara. So the Zayar says here is as follows. He says like this. We say Lamaila, a few principles. We say Lamaila, God operates out of two different places. God could operate out of Rachamim and Din. Rachamim and Din correspond to two levels within God. One is closer to us, revealed, and one is concealed. To use a language, it's not that the Zayar uses this language, is Mamale and Soiviv. We're familiar with these terms. Mamale is revealed to us, it comes into this world. Soiviv is concealed from us. Guess what? Mamale is Midas Hadin. Soiviv is Midas Harachem. Okay? Now, next principle. The Zayar says that everything that a person does, Lamata, triggers a corresponding thing, Lamaila. So when a person lives openly, what happens? They relate to God as God is open. So that means your relationship to God is mamale. When a person lives discreetly, quietly, uh, they have uh, privacy in their lives. So then because they're concealing themselves, so then they relate to God, to God as he conceals himself. So in other words, when you're open, you're a mamale Jew. When you're closed, you're a soiviv Jew. What's the difference if you're a mamale or a soiviv Jew? I said before, mamale is din. Soiviv is rachamim. So when you're open and when you're living in the open Zayar, so now you correspond to Din. So therefore in that zone you're vulnerable to Ayin Hara. Not because the way we think, because someone could walk by and look at you. Yeah, also because of that. But more importantly, you're living in the open. Because you're living in the open, so the part of God that you relate to is God as He is in the open. And God as He is in the open is Midas Adin. Midas Adin is, you get exactly what you deserve. So if you're deserving Aynish, you get Aynish. However, if a person lives discreetly and lives quietly and lives, lives a private life, so then you correspond to what part of Elikos? The save of Kalamim. And save of Kalamim is Rachamim. So Rachamim, Ayin Horus, people could be shooting at you Ayin Horus all day. Whichever model you want to say, because the Zara is not getting into that, whichever model you want to say, it's like you're immune. Why are you immune? Because you're living within the zone of the Abish. That's all Rachamim. So it's Rachamim, Rachamim, Rachamim. So I, you did things that are deserving of punishment. The Abish is overlooking it because Rachamim. Why Rachamim? So usually we learn because of another and another mitzvah and all that. Here we're learning a very interesting thing the Zayar is saying. Because of a lifestyle choice of privacy, and so this is like giving the concept of tzniyas, basically, the Jewish value of tzniyas, giving it a whole other way of understanding it, and the language of the Zayar it's saying, if you read it, it's Aramaic, but everything that I said there is in the Zayar that you have over here in terms of 22. Say there. Okay. You got your money's worth. <laughs>